Hello, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio. Today, I'm going to introduce you to our special guest, Priya Milani from Stash Wealth. But before we get there, let's talk about learning. Yay! <laughs> Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and so many more. And you can take classes in everything from time management to social media strategy to Google Analytics to creative writing. You name it, they have a class for it. There's so many options and there's nothing more convenient than learning from bed. (laughs) So me, I'm craving some creative space. So I'm going to take an ink and drawing class. Nice. Yeah. I want to learn how to be a poet, so I'm going to do a poetry class, and they have so many. So join the tens of millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss Radio listeners two months of unlimited access to over 18,000 classes for just, yeah, you heard it right. 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash girlboss. Again, go to Skillshare, S-K-I-L-L-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash girlboss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash girlboss. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today's guest, Priya Milani, wants to make you a millionaire, and she says she can help you do it without sacrificing the things you love, like vacations, cars, and nice handbags. Our average client has about 80000 in student loans, so that's a big epidemic in this country. It's mind-blowing. It's a huge weight on their shoulders. And that's another one of their stash plan goals. It's like, help me get rid of this freaking debt without it burying me. And oh, by the way, how do I pay off my debt and still enjoy SoulCycle and take Uber and live my life the way I want to live my life? So everything we do backs into that lifestyle. As an entrepreneur and founder of Stash Wealth, Priya has designed a financial planning strategy for millennials an entire generation that's largely ignored by traditional financial institutions. And I really just felt like no one wanted to talk to people our age. It didn't make any sense to me. We were the the future of wealth. Why didn't people want to give us the hand-holding and the advice? And obviously my friends were coming to me like, you know, help me. What should I do? Should I set up a Roth IRA? And just like simple stuff. And that the information isn't out there. And Merrill Lynch doesn't want to talk to you unless you have half a million dollars. And I kind of joke now that even if you have half a million dollars, you're like a D-list client to them. They will take your money. They'll invest it. Then you'll never hear from them ever again. Um, So it's crappy service uh, because you're not worth their time. So that was a big hole that I saw, this like completely ignored generation. After seeing firsthand that most big firms were only servicing the uber-wealthy, Priya decided to make a bet on tomorrow, the hardworking millennials who have a high-earning potential but aren't rich yet. 
Today, we'll talk to Priya about how she's working to disrupt the financial planning industry. What kind of lifestyle do you want to be on track for? What What is wedding, travel, car? The biggest stash plan goal in 2016 was a Tesla. We'll ask her how she suggests we can pay off debt, save for retirement, and still buy what we want without compromising. But first... Jericho Mandibur. Hello. My partner in crime on Girlboss Radio for the last, what, I don't know, six, eight months? Yeah. And we have some news. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking a lot about self-service, which is Jericho's new show, which we all absolutely love and have subscribed to and listened to every Sunday. Thank you. Which is about self-care. Yeah, self-care with a touch of spirituality, witchiness, but it's really just like taking time on a Sunday to learn about like loving yourself more and relaxing more. I need to like listen over and over and over again. Right. So thank you guys who have listened, rated and reviewed the show. Like it sounds like you're all loving it. We love the feedback. Thank you. And we have some news. Yeah. And basically I'm just kind of going to do self-service from now on and not do Girlboss Radio. Because you're busy. Because I got too much to do now. There's a lot to ask of you because you already have a really big job. Thank you. I love doing this and I'm going to miss hanging out with you. I know. But I'm also really happy because my colleague and all-around funny human being, Maggie, is Mm going to be joining you to be a new sidekick, Mm -hmm. which is going to be so great. So everybody stay tuned for that. And if you want to hear my accent still... Definitely subscribe to self-service. We have so much good stuff coming up. So what's coming up on self-service just while we're here? Our astrologer Jessica Lanyato answers a question every week as well as giving a forecast for the week. And she has some like hot topic questions coming up like, should you look at your crush's birth chart? Yay or nay? Yay. Controversial. What's the deal with full moons? How to make the most of Pisces season, stuff like that. And self-care-wise, we have Dr. Lauren, who's our regular psychologist and guest, and she's going to talk about stuff like codependence. But we're also opening up to more guests. So we have these like amazing people that know about self-care and spirituality because they're experts in their field in like all kinds of different ways. So we have Brie Luna of The Hood Witch. We have El Juete from Mend, which is an app for self-care post-breakups, which is really amazing. Lauren Ash of Black Girl in Om, and heaps more. I'm going to miss you. We're all going to miss you, but we know where to find you. Bye. Thank you, Jericho. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you. Now... Priya Milani. As an entrepreneur and founder of Stash Wealth, Priya is helping her millennial clientele get their financial shit together. Her company, Stash, makes valuable financial information accessible to millennials of all budgets. Here's her story. I always start at the beginning, and I'm just curious. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Oh, gosh, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> um, born and raised in, raised for the most part in New York. I was born in Greenwich Village. And grew up in New York, upstate New York. And then right before I started high school, my family decided to relocate to Kentucky, a small town in Kentucky, at a very tender age. And it was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, I bet. What was that like? And, you know, did you stay there for long? Did you get out as soon as you could? <laughs> did you did you adjust ever? I got to be honest, I didn't appreciate Kentucky for what it had to offer when I was a teenager. I did. I did try to get out as soon as possible. Literally, as soon as I finished high school, I moved on. But it was now I appreciate it so much more than I did then. 
it was hard. It was very hard. I was an Indian girl in this school where there, I was probably one of four Indians. And um, I was a New Yorker. I just had a little pep in my step that they probably weren't used to. And it didn't always rub them the right way. So it was a little awkward, but mm-hmm. a good learning experience. Did you do anything to kind of fill your time? Were you and did you have a lot of extracurricular activities or did you work any any jobs in high school? Actually, I grew up training to be a professional ballet dancer. Um, oh, wow. Many of the people I trained with are now principals at New York City Ballet, American Ballet Theater, very rigorous programs. Actually, the fact that I switched careers is still kind of funny to me. I'm sure my high school friends probably have no idea. They probably can't put two and two together because they just know me as a dancer. Do you ever wish you had just st- kept going as a dancer? Are you glad? Like, w- at what point did you decide, I'm not going to pursue dance as my career? Yeah, I mean, I went on to dance professionally. I danced with the Atlanta Ballet uh, through college. But it was during college that I decided that I wanted to switch careers and have something that would last longer. Most ballerinas have to retire by the by now, by the time they're in their 30s. So, you know, the discipline that I that I acquired back then is still paying off today, especially as an entrepreneur. Um, I'm very grateful for it as an experience. So, but it, it is definitely a first, my first passion, my first love. I, I miss it a lot. I try to sneak in a ballet class every, every now and then. Adult ballet, it's a little different. Yeah, it's like the cool thing. It's yeah. like uh, hold, holding onto a bar and lifting your leg up. Everybody right now everybody's do doing it. bar class, exactly. <laughs> I know. So you got out for college. Is that when you left Kentucky? And where did you go? I went to, uh, so I was dancing with the Atlanta Ballet, and the college that I had applied to in Atlanta happened to be a school called Agnes Scott, Agnes Scott College, and it's a small private liberal arts women's school, which was an amazing, amazing experience, but I transitioned, and I was an econ major, and that's when I transitioned um, into econ finance, and coming out of school, I joined Merrill Lynch right away. And you started as an intern at Merrill Lynch. I did. I was an intern during my senior year. And then upon graduation, they gave me a full-time position. What do you attribute that to? Is that pretty common at Merrill Lynch? No, but I also was, uh, I guess, an atypical intern. I worked 35 hours a week. I would stay really, really late on Fridays. I I think that really helped. Um, I don't think that they just offer all Mm -hmm. interns full-time jobs out of... (laughs) the intern program. But I hustled. I hustled my butt off. This was still in Atlanta, but I had that sort of New York mentality. And I think that, and I knew New York is where I wanted to end up. So I kind of worked like the New Uh York way. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine if you're used to moving as fast as New Yorkers, that that can like get you really far in places outside of New York. Yeah. And I mean, I'd left New York when I was a teenager, but it had just, it left such an impression on me that I was, I just really, really liked working at that pace. And what were you focused on at Merrill Lynch? What, you know, what were you spending your time on in that role? So I started in wealth management um, where we were working with high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. Um, former presidents even were clients. And it was just an incredible training ga- ground to understand what the financial advisory business looks like. Um, a lot of the emphasis is on maintaining wealth. These people have already accumulated their wealth, and that's a big difference between what I did then and what I do now. Um, But they had made their money and whether it was um, inherited or through business or whatever it was. And we were just helping them make sure they didn't outlive their money. Um, So a lot of retirement planning and things like that. It wasn't terribly interesting, I got to (laughs) say. But after a couple years, I relocated to New York. I did finally get that job in New York. And they Uh, I started working in capital markets at Merrill Lynch, and I was working on a trading floor, and Hmm. it was 
super hustle and bustle and it was super exciting. It was it was awesome. Wow. How would you categorize someone who is an ultra high net worth individual? Like what is what is the criteria for that? Ten million and up in net worth. Okay. So you worked on the trading floor. What was that like? Were there very many women around? Not a lot of women around. No. But did you wear one of those jackets? <laughs> I've sworn that at Stash we're not allowed to wear suits because I just was so scarred by that. Actually, this will blow your mind. In the Atlanta office, we actually had we were required if we wore a skirt or a dress that we had to wear pantyhose which oh, kind wow. of still blows my mind. Not not the case in New York, but I wasn't a, a trader, so I wasn't wearing like what you might be thinking of, I think, on the New York floor mm. of the New York Stock Exchange. But we dressed professionally, and no, you're right, there weren't a lot of women. It was a, definitely a male-dominated environment. We used to have an 8.30 meeting every morning where we'd all just stand on the floor, and the head of um, Capital Markets, he, I, he was literally like a pit bull. He was like this bulldog kind of guy, and he would just get up and kind of yell and go group by group, and we had to like report on what had happened the day before. Um, it was really interesting and scary, but... Mm. That sounds so stressful. It was very stressful. It was. More stressful was when 2008, 2009 rolled around and, like, CEO of Merrill Lynch is coming to talk to your boss at the end of the trading, you know, at the end of the desk. That that whole time period is really what was the impetus for me leaving to start Stash. And that's when Priya had the idea for Stash Wealth. I asked her to talk to us about how she started building the business. I mean, the origins actually go back even farther than working on the trading floor. I was working in wealth management and when went back when I was in Atlanta and I really just felt like no one wanted to talk to people our age it didn't make any sense to me we were the, we're the future of wealth why didn't people want to give us the hand holding and the advice and obviously my friends were coming to me like you know help me what should i do should i set up a roth ira and just like simple stuff and that the information isn't out there and Merrill Lynch doesn't want to talk to you unless you have half a million dollars and i kind of joke now that even if you have half a million dollars you're like a d-list client to them they will take your money they'll invest it then you'll never hear from them ever again um so it's crappy service uh because you're not worth their time so that was a big hole that i saw this like completely ignored generation and then i wanted to just do do better, do right by the client. Like going now talking about what I saw on the trading floor. I mean, gosh, Sophia, I, the way they talk about clients, it sucks. It makes you feel crappy. When I left Merrill, I took my parents' accounts with me. Um, I was not leaving them back behind because I didn't, I didn't like the way that they think of clients. It's really about the bottom line. I mean, it's the typical stuff, you know, that you kind of hear it just watching it play out just sucked. So where did you start with Stash Wealth and what were the, you know, you said, did you sit down and say, this is what I want to build? Or did you just say, like, I'm going to find some clients and start doing something? Like, what, tell me what it was like. It started small, pretty organic, friends and family kind of thing. Uh, people who had already been coming to you for advice and you... You know, there's really no one else out there doing what we're doing at Stash. So I didn't have any models to follow. And I actually was doing this panel for Refinery. And I even said on that that I didn't create a business plan. And I didn't. And I think that's actually a good thing, not necessarily having a business. Everyone says you have to have a, a business plan. But because we really wanted to break the mold, I didn't want to have a business plan. I wanted to just really kind of see where the business took me and allow the demographic that we serve to dictate how the business should be run, how they should be charged, all of that. Um, so it was a lot of 
growing pains, quite a learning process. We're in the third iteration of our fee model. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and and now you know we're the brand has grown. We have clients in over thirty two states and four countries. It's been quite a wild ride. So did you get investors? Did you start the company with anybody? Did anybody mentor you? Like who else? Who else got you here or was, you know, a part of building Stash Wealth with you? Interesting because nope, nope, and nope. Um, <laughs> I I kind of made it my mission not to take investors because – and I still today I'm holding the line. It's a little more difficult now to hold the line. But I have – like growing up, you know, at Merrill Lynch, I saw so many things that I thought they were doing wrong. And I really just wanted the freedom not to have opinions of people who were going to once again be paying attention to the bottom line. So – yeah, revenue hasn't grown as fast as it would have if we had taken, you know, investments. Yeah, our technology is so basic and it's still in beta and you know, that that would have grown faster with funding, but I don't care. I really love being the voice, the opinion and getting to unwind all the mistakes I saw Merrill Lynch making. I get to unwind it with Stash. It's really cool. What does success mean like for your clients when they work with you? Is there like a rate of return or is it about their satisfaction? Is it about their like knowledge and having a partner at Stash who doesn't just invest their money without telling them what's going on, but actually involves them? Like what are the success metrics that differentiate Stash from someone like a Merrill Lynch? I mean, having five-star reviews on Yelp doesn't hurt, but um, our, that's the last two that you said are exactly right. We want our clients to be thrilled. Our mission is to treat our clients like millionaires before they're millionaires. So that level of hand-holding, that white glove service that Merrill kind of reserves for the high net worth, ultra high net worth, we bring that to our demographic. And like I said, no one else is doing that right now because it's not super profitable. But at the end of the day, we're investing in these people who are by starting early, by getting their financial shit together, are going to have um, much more to show for it in the long run. So that's a really big thing. And then, yeah, not so much about the return. So that's one thing that is a misconception we clear up at Stash. Wall Street has kind of really done a shitty job portraying what investing actually is. And they, the way they talk about it, they want in, they want you to think of investing almost more like gambling, and they always we, – we, we say Wall Street's happy to tell you what to invest in before knowing what you're investing for. But that leads to investing for the sake of investing, which is gambling. It's not how you build wealth. And so education around that for our clients is huge. We, we give our clients the decency and the respect of teaching them how to be smarter with their money. We don't just want them to understand what they need to do. We want them to understand why because if they don't understand why, they won't stick to the strategy. And our clients stick to the strategy. They get it. They're on track for their goals. We're a lifestyle-oriented firm, so everything backs into what kind of lifestyle do you want to be on track for? What What is wedding, travel, car? The biggest stash plan goal in 2016 was a Tesla. You know, uh-huh. real-life goals, not just retirement. Hold on. Let's stop there. What's a Henry? So the term Henry was originally coined in a for- Fortune article in 2003 when we when I stumbled upon it. No one had trademarked it. <laughs> so, but because of the Fortune article, we've trademarked, we can't trademark Henry, but we've trademarked pretty much every phrase involving the term Henry. And at Stash, Henry means high earner, not rich yet. So 20-somethings and 30-somethings who make good money and want something to show for it. So how do you describe 
like someone who would be eligible to work with you or work with Stash Wealth from like a financial perspective? Like who's your ideal target client? Our average client is 32, but we're really working with people in their 20s and 30s. And they're six-figure earners if they live on the East Coast. Where This is kind of a soft metric, Sophia, because we have, you know, like let's say a lawyer who's making 65000 and maybe she lives in Minnesota. Like she might qualify as a Henry. Um, I'm thinking of another client that she lives in the West Village and she works at an art gallery. She makes like $45,000 a year, but her grandmother left her a $600,000 inheritance. Like so – at Stash, we think of Henry's as people who are nearing or hitting that six-figure income with at least $10,000 in savings to show that they're serious. Where do you refer people if they're not quite yet Henry? That's a really good question. Uh, we've formed a partnership with a company called InVibed, I-N-V-I-B-E-D, and they work with what we call future Henry's, so people who are just kind of getting like the foundation stuff built. Maybe they have a ton of credit card debt, maybe some not so smart money habits and just kind of want to understand the basics. Our clients have debt at Stash. Uh, our, our average client has about 80000 in student loans. So that's a big epidemic, obviously, wow. in, this, in this country. Yeah, the average Henry has about 80K, which it's mind-blowing. It's a huge weight on their shoulders. And that's another one of their stash plan goals. It's like, help me get rid of this freaking debt without it burying me. And oh, by the way, how do I pay off my debt and still enjoy SoulCycle and take Uber and live my life the way I want to live my life? So everything we do backs into that lifestyle. But um, yeah, we've partnered with InVibed for future Henrys who aren't quite there yet. Cool. And then what about people that are like, post-Henry, like, are millionaires or more? Where do you send them? Like, who who does a good job? Mm, that's a good question. Um, at that point, you become prey for the Merrills, the Morgans of the world. They're going to want to talk to you because that's an attractive number. But finding a fiduciary. So this is a new term in the industry. Well, it's not a new term. It's just getting a little bit more attention now than it used to. This is there's two standards by which the financial services industries work, the fiduciary standard and the suitability standard. Places like Stash work on the fiduciary standard, which means we have to do what's in the client's best interest. It's kind of funny that there's even a distinction, right? Because the uh, suitability Yeah. <laughs> I know you're probably like why what else is there besides the client's best interest? <laughs> the suitability standard is what most broker dealers on Wall Street, the Merrills, the Morgans of the world operate under. That's changing, but basically the suitability standard says if there's if the client has um, an issue that can be solved with two investment products and, like, let's say one pays the financial advisor a higher commission, they could suggest it because it's still suitable. Tell me about, like, the intersection of technology and your business because I'm on your website now and it says that, you know, this isn't a computer, you know, pooping out of some advice. This is, you know, there's humans involved with the stash plan. But, you know, obviously this is like also a digital business for you because it looks like you guys don't do a ton of in-person meetings and fintech as a word is like, you know, a, a thing. Hot button topic. Like, yeah. What do you think about, you know, how, how does technology affect your business and what do you think about, yeah, and what do you think about that in terms of the future of stash wealth? Technology is going to become a, a bigger part of the business as long as it serves the client well. We don't use technology to replace the conversations we're having with clients. You're right. Fintech is a big word. We we just started building technology, by the way, Sophia, just about a year ago. 
I had no idea we were even going to do that. But when we looked for other products, we realized there's really nothing out there. Like even the mint.coms of the world, clients come to us and they're like, oh, I hate mint. It's so, you know, it's like I, I categorize something and then it's like it, it, the next day or week or whatever. It, it just it doesn't categorize things properly. So we're trying to build something that is kind of cooler than mint.com and also allows clients to see that they're on track for their goals. But robo-advisors are a really big thing right now. Betterments, wealth funds, they're, they're um, a lot of talk about them. And they are all technology, which is what makes them a little bit more affordable. I mean, I like those platforms, but I joke that 80% of what we do at Stash is therapy. A robo doesn't care about your feelings, doesn't care about your fears, has no clue about the money myths that you might have that might actually leading you to lead you to make bad decisions or wrong decisions that are costly. Um when we work with a couple that isn't on the same page, what's a robo going to do? So we really believe in the human-first approach, and then smart technology is there to support us and make things a little bit easier. So we'll continue to build technology, um, but it's going to be client-facing, and it'll never replace the way that we build financial plans. So how are millennials different in terms of our view on money than prior generations? What do you think is different about us? As a generation, we don't like to compromise, which is awesome, um, and we shouldn't have to. We kind of joke at Stash that we don't like taking on clients in their 40s because we don't like delivering bad news, um, but it's just a joke, and the idea is the sooner you start, the less the less you have to compromise. We don't like to compromise. We prioritize travel. Travel is almost a non-negotiable for every single client. Um, yes, we want to be on track for retirement, but we're kind of rewriting the playbook across the board when it comes to money, when it comes to retirement, when it comes to everything. Um, so some clients aren't prioritizing retirement. Maybe they're prioritizing a three month sabbatical every couple years. So we think about money very differently from past generations. And then another thing about it is that previous generations, our parents' generations, have have led to some money myths, some miscon not conventional wisdom. Um, that like, for instance, buying a home is an investment, or you should never lease a car, you should always buy a car. Um, so all these things that we help millennials to rethink that we're part of the sharing economy, right? So not not a lot of us want to buy a car. We we're perfectly comfortable being driven around in Uber or whatever it is. So wait, is buying a house not an investment? Because conventional wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an interesting study. You're you're fine, Zivia. <laughs> there's an interesting study that came out in New York Times about a year and a half ago. And uh, they went back and looked at the last 126 years of home prices outside of bubble markets. And I know you live in a bubble market, so this wouldn't apply to you. But outside of the general bubble markets, home prices over the past 126 years have appreciated, you ready for it? 0.37%. In other words, they've kept pace with inflation. So here we are, all of our clients think like, oh, I have to buy a home. That's a big a big thing. I, you know, it's a milestone in my adulting. And quite frankly, it's, first of all, very hard to achieve for people on the coasts because getting to a 20% down payment is ridiculous. It's almost the same as some the cost of home, the average home in America. We help clients through that kind of stuff, even rethinking the fact that you don't need to put 20% down on your home. But at the same time, we don't want you house poor. We don't want you to move in and then you can't afford the monthly payments or you're stuck eating ramen, you know, every night or you can't furnish it. Also maintaining a house, like nobody really tells you like how much work yeah. it is and how much the house is going to break and 
<laughs> that like no no one's gonna show up and fix it for you and that like it's all on you and like you better figure out when it's time to replace your roof but nobody's gonna tell you you just kind of have to figure it out and I don't I still don't know how that works I hope my roof is okay it's good that it <laughs> Hasn't been raining a lot here in LA. <laughs> exactly, though. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Yeah. People shy away from financial planning and budgeting because A, it's not fun, and B, it's super complicated for folks that aren't really well educated in finance. We'll have more with Priya Malani in a minute, but first, let's talk about shopping, which Priya maintains we can still all do while still saving for retirement. Speaking of spending money, Let's talk about Stitch Fix. Clothes. You don't have to waste any more time scrolling endlessly through online sites, putting stuff in your cart, and then leaving it there because you can't make up your mind. Let Stitch Fix make up your mind and your outfit for you. What's your experience with Stitch Fix, Ben Jericho? My favorite part about Stitch Fix is tweaking my profile constantly because it asks you so many questions about the kind of stuff you want, your color palette, your, your face taste, is like your favorite so brands. lit up right now, if you guys could see. Like how delighted she is talking about. I love it. I do it all the time. The profile quiz. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Profile quiz? I guess so. It's just like you update your profile as much as you want and it's really, really fun. And so, for example, if you want your next fix to be like stuff to wear to a wedding, you can go in, update like what you want exactly for that kind of event. And then they'll send you all of that stuff. Oh, that's so nice. So you can constantly play with it. Wow. Basically, Stitch Fix is a service that sends you clothes, shoes, accessories picked just for you, your size, your lifestyle, your budget. It's a box with items you can try out at home. You don't get charged until you decide to keep them. And Stitch Fix covers shipping both ways for returns and exchanges as well. There's no subscription required. You can get your fix monthly, quarterly, or whenever you feel like it. So Get started now at stitchfix.com slash girlboss, and you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot com slash girlboss to try Stitch Fix today. That's stitchfix.com slash girlboss. Before we get back to Priya, I want to talk a little bit about ShipStation. Oh, God. I have, like, a stuffy nose, and I'm trying to say Oh, God! <laughs> so, I know firsthand that when you're selling online, shipping orders can be the bane of your existence, and getting orders out the door on time can make or break your customer's experience. And that's mm-hmm. why you need ShipStation.com. We're actually using it for some of the stuff that's on GirlBoss.com. We just have a few stuff if you go up to the top of the website and click on Shop. And we're using ShipStation. It is the fastest and easiest way to ship your orders all from one place. So whether you use Squarespace, Etsy, or another popular selling channel, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, which makes it super easy to manage from any device from your phone. And then ShipStation creates labels for all your top carriers, including UPS, USPS, FedEx. And right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation. Make ship happen! And now, back to Priya Malani. It's not shocking that millennials have different views on money and saving than generations before. 
But what are some of the mistakes that millennials are making with our money? Some of the biggest mistakes we see are obviously waiting to get your financial shit together. You want to start sooner rather than later. There's an interesting stat that I came across when I was prepping for another conference that 70% of newly engaged couples express negative attitudes towards talking about money. Like, what? That's you. If you're in a serious relationship, talk about money. Um, so, so that it can be very tough. It can, and and listen, we see clients all the time with un, like one earns more or one has more debt or one really wants to get their financial shit together and one really doesn't want to. Opposites attract, right? So the spender and the saver. Um, but talking about money when you're in a relationship is super, super important, getting on the same financial page, speaking the same language. And if you're not on the same page, it's okay. I mean, there's a really practical reason for that. Studies show that the way in which we think about our money comes from our childhood, comes from our upbringing. And since it's highly unlikely you and your significant other grew up in the same house, um, you're obviously not going to think about it the same way. So we're trying to work through that because we make so many money decisions throughout the day that you should be on the same page. It's kind of like just as important as how you guys feel about raising children, everything else. Oh, here's an interesting mistake we actually see millennials make, which is so counterintuitive. A lot of the Henrys that come to Stash are oversaving for retirement, which kind of blows people's minds because the media has sort of scared us into thinking we're never going to be ready, that we're oversaving, maxing out our 401ks and forgetting about all the fun goals that we have before retirement. Um, like planning a family, wedding, travel, whatever it is, buying a home. Um, so that's quite often we have to pair back retirement contributions. Um, another one is credit card usage. So millennials are terrified of credit cards. And it's because we've been taught to think of credit cards as free money. At Stash, which another thing that kind of blows people's minds is we actually never, ever want you to use your debit card. We want you to use your credit card as if it is a debit card. The debit's once a month when you pay the bill off in full. And if you do that, you build your credit score, which is awesome for when you want to buy a house or get a car or whatever. You earn rewards points, cash back, and the money sitting in your checking account earning interest or savings account earning interest um, until you pay the bill. So it's sort of a threefold benefit. Now, there's some people out there who are like, hell no. <laughs> if, I, if I'm using my credit card, I'm going to put more on it than I can afford to pay off. So there's tools out there that that help. I don't know. Yeah, if, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that, don't guys. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to be totally money savvy, you would want to use a credit card. You get points on credit cards. That's like the third benefit. And then the fourth benefit is that it's more secure. It's much easier to cancel a credit card that's associated with a bunch of your accounts than it is a debit card. And once someone has access to your debit card info, so the more you use your debit card, the more places... It you know that number could be distributed, and I've had that issue where you know my my card num- my card is compromised. So doing that with a a credit card is a lot smarter. I love that you bring that one up. It's so true, and banks are pretty much so annoying to deal with. Whereas the credit card company, the fraud de- um, fraud protection department, they're so much easier. If you're listening to this episode and panicking because you're nearing thirty and still living check to check, here's Priya's advice for you. Well, first of all, if your employer offers a match on the 401k, max it. So like let's say a typical match might be 50% of the first 6% contribution. If you're only putting in like 2% to your 401k, you're literally leaving free money on the table. 
So max your match. Open up a Roth IRA. So when you're in your 20s, you're likely not making that six figures yet. Um, And you're eligible for something called a Roth IRA, which is a retirement account that we call it a use it or lose it account. Because after you make more than six figures, there's a cap on on the income limit. You can't contribute to it anymore. But it's a super, super powerful type of account because you pay taxes on the money you put in today and then the growth and then the money you use down the road in retirement. You don't have to pay taxes on any of that, which is kind of crazy. One of the examples I I give when I do talks is that let's say you had taken $10,000 and you had bought Southwest stock. It'd be worth over, um, like, let's say $2 million today. If you had bought that 10000 worth of stock in a Roth IRA, that one point whatever million is yours tax-free. It's a very powerful type of account. For Henry's, or those of us who are maybe almost Henry's, are there any benefits to what's happening under Trump? Or what should we be aware of that's happening today that affects our money? Yeah, I mean, about 75% of people uh, will be benefit at tax time. Now, by benefit, I mean receive more of a refund or owe less, which isn't necessarily everyone's end goal. But about 75% of people are going to benefit from that standpoint. Um, if you own a small business, the there's a, an additional deduction that is going to help. The standard deduction um, for individuals and couples is doubling, which basically means if you use an accountant to file your taxes because you itemize, you probably won't have to do that next year. You can just use like a TurboTax or another um, platform we like. It's called Tax Slayer. Such a weird name, but it's Slayer. Sometimes. Okay, like the band. Got it. (laughs) So you'll be able to just use one of those platforms, which makes it a lot more affordable. Um, so those are some some of the benefits from the tax program itself. At what point do you need an accountant? Like, who needs yeah, an Yeah, I mean, that's really changing. So, like, a lot of people, once they start itemizing or, like, let's say you work for business in two different states. Like, you travel and your business is uh, based in one state and you also do business in a second state. So you're filing under two states. That can m- complicate the tax implications. But really, like, this new reform is going to make it a much higher barrier. Like you won't, most Henry's won't need to use an accountant. Obviously, if you have a small business, that would be, it would be a good idea to use an accountant. And then also in conjunction with the accountant, you should be uh, using a bookkeeper. Sometimes your accountant is your bookkeeper, but they would work together for you. What do you think about Bitcoin? I think it's super sexy and everyone (laughs) wants to talk about sexy investments. We actually don't consider it an investment at Stash. Um, We consider it gambling. It's different from investing. Have fun, but don't put any – we don't allow clients to put any more than 3% of their overall investable assets into any gamble. So if you have a little extra money playing – like sitting around and you just want to like have fun and see what happens, go for it. But that shouldn't be linked to your uh, goals, your Bitcoin investment. Blockchain, on the other hand, is a really interesting phenomenon, this technology, um, and will have some very – is already showing to have some implications across many different industries, including the financial industry. Um, but Bitcoin itself is – it's a roller coaster. I think it's way more fun to gamble and just go to Vegas, plus you get free cocktails. Along the way, money gets more and more complicated. I asked Priya to talk to us about combining finances and how to deal with money in relationships. 
Stash, we encourage our clients and relationships to start thinking and working together as a team. Because by working as a team, you can get on track for your goals more uh, quicker and more efficiently. So by talking about Maybe you're not on the same financial page, so the first step would be to start having a conversation around what are your goals, like tangible, short, mid, long-term financial goals. Because by understanding your end goal, then you both now have this in mind that you can work towards, and then you know if the decisions you're making are working towards that or detrimental to those goals. And also another thing that we make clients do when they're when they're thinking about their goals, we help them think about their goals because a lot of clients come to us and they're young and they're like, I don't, what are you talking about goals? I don't know. I'm just, I want to just <laughs> make sure that I make my money work harder for me. Um, but we have our clients prioritize their goals. So think of them as a need, a want, or a wish. And by having that conversation with your significant other, if you say something is a need and they say it's a want – well, okay, then we need to have a conversation around that, right? And eventually find what's going to work, like find that middle ground. Should we combine finances? Everything we do at Stash is personalized to the couple. So we help clients start to think and kind of shift their mindset towards thinking as a team, which in in some cases does require some account consolidation. I mean, we've had couples that were married three years still Venmoing each other for rent. And there's a more efficient way. <laughs> so typically, um, our standard, we call it a money map. Our ideal couple's money map would have couples' paychecks routing into a joint checking account. And from that joint checking account, they would link an individual checking account, one under each of their names. We call those side stashes. And side stashes are hashtag judgment-free zone. You can spend that money on whatever you want, and your significant other can't say a thing. That usually seems to do the trick. But this way, you aren't Venmoing each other for payments. And if if someone pays for dinner, you know, we also talk about joint credit cards or having um, credit cards and then putting your significant other as an authorized user so you both have credit in your name. But sure, there are horror stories where, you know, an ex mismanages a credit, you know, credit card and then it impacts your future relationship and now you're scared to get another credit, joint credit card. So it's just, it's never, there's no, financial planning is an art, not a science. It, and that's why it's so important not to outsource it to technology because you need to have a conversation around pre- people's values, priorities, mindset, and really work within that framework, that context. So tell me about the, your business. How many people work at Stash Wealth today? I think we're around 12 people now. Not everyone works in the office. Um, we're mostly remote. We work with clients, like you mentioned earlier, we're a virtual brand. We don't. We think millennials have way better things to do with their time than to go sit into a, a mahogany office and talk to a person in a suit. Um, so yeah, it's all virtual. Most of our team operates remotely. We have designers, developers. They're in India. So I do conference calls with them at 6.30 in the morning. Had one today. That's tricky. And what's your day-to-day role? Like what is, you know, what was it like a few years ago and what's it like today? Um, there's a really interesting book that I love called E-Myth. And it kind of talks about how when you start your business, you wear all the hats. Mm-hmm. And then you get to slowly bring people in and fill the hats. And it's so cool to be at a spot where now I have someone managing social media. And we have a team of planners. I have someone for compliance. I have someone for uh, content, for SEO, for tech development. Like, it's so f- nice to, to not have to wear all those hats. But I'm still managing all of all of that. Um, so the team of planners, the 
tech build. I'm very involved in the tech, actually. That's probably one of my biggest roles right now is just building technology. Um, and then compliance. A lot of the compliance I still oversee because um, I'm the chief compliance officer for Stash. <laughs> so that's a big role. Not what I thought I'd be doing when I left Merrill. But. And that's as a fiduciary, that's your responsibility, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So do you have a partner? Yeah, I do have a partner. I met him at Merrill Lynch, and he's part of the team, has been now with us full time since about two years. So he's more of a silent partner before. Um, but we met at Merrill, worked on a team there together, and both had the similar vision. So while I left to start it and really kind of get it off the ground, um, he's now helping to to run and operate it. Yeah. What are the most pressing topics that people want you to talk about? And what do you think are the, com- the, the problems that are specific to women that we're trying to solve? For women, we write a lot of pieces on the wage gap. We write about fears women have. But I don't necessarily see that there's a distinction. I think maybe guys have those same fears. Uh, they just I don't I, I we're pretty much a gender neutral brand as far as that goes although it is funny Sophia because I would say maybe not nine out of times but eight out of ten times it's the women bringing the relationship to stash which is so kick-ass which is so awesome yeah yeah I love that our it's almost always the women spearheading the the effort to get the couple's financial shit together so tell me what's next what's next for stash wealth and what's next for you I'm very committed to this mission. I'm very committed to bringing, to filling this gap and to bringing this advice and guidance that Wall Street reserves for rich people to millennials. So I'm going to continue doing this and we're building technology. And I think that's going to be a big part of my role for the next at least 18 to 24 months. We've been approached for a reality TV show. We've been approached for um, opening offices in other countries. But I'm really trying to just take it one day at a time and first solidify the service that we offer to clients and make sure we're doing a really, really good job at it. Cool. So I ask everybody on this show what their most recent girl boss moment was. And a girl boss moment can be... It's really the time most recently that you remember feeling like you were in control of your life, had your shit together, a moment where you were able to exhale or maybe a moment that you were celebrating. Priya, what was your most recent girl boss moment? Oh my gosh, I'm thinking so granular. I worked all day yesterday and I stopped around 4.30 and I was so pumped because I had accomplished so much shit. And I was like, fuck it. I am drinking margaritas. I'm just going to have the best time of my life because I feel so like I did everything that I needed to do. I don't know if that answers your question because it's kind of granular, no, but I literally it. felt sometimes like a rock star yesterday around 4.30. Yeah. Before she left, I asked Priya to tell us about what success means to her right now. I do think it's an evolving thing and putting a, a very concrete definition can tend to feel stifling or... Um, it can be discouraging. But right now, pursuing my own ideas feel, feels pretty successful, working towards something that means something to me. Um, but I also remember that's a luxury. And I'm really lucky to have been able to be in a place of taking that risk, but not everyone can take that risk. Um, but doing something new and challenging, I like being out of my comfort zone. I like thrive being out of my comfort zone. Um, traditionalists are going to push against stash, and they do. And I love just having the energy and ability to push against them. I feel successful doing that. Priya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it and take you taking all the time and for all of the contributions that you've made to the Girl Boss website and 
at the rally. It's I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I forgot to tell you, Sophia, um, and it probably doesn't matter because you can't see me, but I even wore my Nasty Gal lipstick today <laughs> that I'm obsessed oh with. Oh, my God. Whoa. From the collaboration? From the MAC collaboration. Whoa. Wow. Runner. That's I amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. So big fan of yours. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining us on another episode of Girl Boss Radio. Uh, subscribe and give us a rating if you like the show. And make sure you go to girlboss.com to keep up with everything that's going on. Subscribe to our newsletter. And we will miss Jericho, but we know where to find her over at Self Service, anywhere podcasts are found. And at what's your social handle? At jericho.mandiba. That's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Bye, guys. <laughs>